0: Really big news over the past 24 hours, a new COVID narrative has just dropped. According to the new liberal narrative, the libs who shut down the schools for much of the past two years actually were really trying to open the schools the whole time. I think there are many of us in the public health community who are arguing for in-person education as safe, doable, really useful for children. Um, there is not one single view, but I think there is no question about it. Uh, many of us believed from relatively early in the pandemic that um, that it was really important for kids to have in-person education and advocated for it. Obviously, I was advocating as an outside, you know, as an academic expert. Obviously, it's not just one voice, but obviously, very, very many people. We were all saying basically, you need to reopen those schools as quickly as possible. That's very clear from the very beginning. That was Joe Biden's COVID coordinator. Very confusing, of course, because here is what the Democrats have actually been saying for the past two years.
1: Go ask Florida and Texas and Arizona how well that worked. On schools, what does he say? Reopen the schools. Just open them up. Don't worry. Yeah. He was wrong on the economic reopening. He's wrong on the schools' reopening. I know, you know, from everything that we read as parents, that it would be better for them learning wise to be able to be in a classroom with a teacher. But I don't think that it's safe right now. Uh, I don't think it's safe for the kids and,
0: and I don't trust that it's safe for the teachers and the staff either. So I think that we need to get the virus better under control here in Texas at least before we allow schools to fully reopen. That's how I feel as a parent. It's also how I feel as a
1: policymaker. Forcing education students back into a classroom in areas where the infection rate is going up or remaining very high is just plain dangerous. You know, it has to start by getting cases down in our communities. That's step one. It means wearing a mask, following social distance guidelines, ensuring effective testing and tracing.
0: There's a pretty big change in tune on COVID pretty dramatic rewriting of history by the Democrats, memory-holing what they actually said for the entirety of the COVID nonsense. And as election day draws nearer, I would expect the retconning of COVID to become even more pronounced, especially since elections are what the COVID policies have been about from the very beginning. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Scott Lewis, who says, John Fetterman is the voice of our generation, a damning indictment of our generation. I hate to agree with you, but I think there's actually a lot of truth to what you say. John Fetterman very well may may be the voice of our generation. This is really confusing on COVID. I'm getting, my head is just spinning on, on the Democrats' COVID stance. Because we're being told, you no, know, the Democrats, they wanted to reopen schools from the very beginning. But then I look back to what they actually said. They say, no, no, we can't reopen schools even way, way after the lockdowns began, even way after we knew COVID was not a big threat to kids relatively, way after we had the vaccines and all the rest of it. Now it's really confusing because we're being told, okay, we got we, 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 have to reopen the schools. We should have reopened the schools much earlier. We always wanted to reopen the schools. And then Joe Biden comes out And he says that COVID is once again, today in the year of our Lord 2022, a global health emergency.
1: Some of our friends in Congress say we don't need COVID funding, or they say there's really no reason that the government should be paying for it. I strongly disagree, strongly disagree. This is a global health emergency. If we really want to put COVID behind us, we have to keep up the fight together.
0: So now Joe Biden is saying that COVID is a global health emergency and we all got to take it super seriously. Again, we've got to spend a ton more money and give Democrats a bunch more power on it. One month ago, just one month ago, Joe Biden told us the exact opposite.
1: Mr. President, first Detroit auto show in three years. Yeah. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's but the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. And so I think it's changing. And I think this is a perfect example of it.
0: No one's wearing masks. Everyone's in good shape. The pandemic is over. And also COVID is a global health emergency even today. And we need to spend a ton more money and, and keep clamping down on people for it. And also, it's extremely dangerous to ever let the kids go back to school. It's so dangerous for our kids. We know that it would be better for their education, but we just can't let them do it. And also, we've always wanted to let the kids go back to school. And also, Oceania is at war with East Asia. And also, Oceania has always been at war with Eurasia, and on and on and on. Some of us have had the number on this COVID thing from, from day one, from the very beginning. Some of us, unlike the Democrats, have been consistent on COVID from the very beginning. I'm not tooting my own horn. You know, I hate to say I told you so. I don't have my Nostradamus ad on me right now. But some of us saw this thing for what it was from basically day one. Okay, and we saw it as, and I'm not just saying me. Many of you listening understood this as well. Many, many disproportionately, the people listening to this show right now understood what COVID was, a political operation much more than it was any kind of public health crisis. Sure, there's a scientific viral aspect to it, but the experience that we all had of COVID writ large was a political operation, much more than it was scientific or medical or anything else. And because that is the case, all the arguments we heard about it and all the policies that went along with it would change arbitrarily, month by month, day by day, hour by hour. I I bet you Joe Biden doesn't remember what he said about COVID one month ago. And he probably never heard what his COVID czar was just saying about COVID. And it actually doesn't matter because the COVID policies have always changed based on the convenience of Democrats. And as election day nears, I think they're trying to retcon their history on COVID because they're weak on everything. For much of the past year, COVID was the one issue that they were in the positive on. If you looked at the public opinion polls, they were down on the economy, down on national security, down on immigration, down on this, down on that, down on everything, except for COVID. That was the one area where Joe Biden had his head above water. Now he's below water on COVID as well, which means that the Democrats' COVID policies are unpopular, which means that they've just got to pretend that they never held those policies in the first place. But people remember Okay, people know what a disaster the Democrats have been. I was thinking about this yesterday on a completely separate issue from COVID. I was thinking about this yesterday when the Hungarian foreign minister came out, and he said that the war in Ukraine, in his estimation, would not have happened under Trump. This would be foreign minister Peter Zhizharto, I'm obviously butchering that pronunciation, but he, he said, basically, it's, 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 well, it's Putin's fault for invading, but it's Biden's fault for letting it happen. And this is not a fringe crazy opinion. This is the opinion of Vladimir Zelensky. Zelensky said that uh, Biden's decision to take the sanctions off of Russia's pipeline would cause Putin to invade Ukraine. That is exactly what happened. And then, of course, Biden went even further and said, well, if Putin just invades a small part of Ukraine. If it's just a minor incursion, it's not a big deal, won't prompt a major conflict. So he literally invited him to to invade Ukraine in that case. And, And you think about what that did. Right now, what's the top issue for American voters, according to all the public opinion polls? It's the economy, and more specifically, it's inflation. Why do we have inflation? Well, there are a lot of reasons we have inflation, but inflation is driven largely by the surge in energy prices. Why are energy prices up? Well, one, because America intentionally destroyed its domestic oil and gas production by not issuing new federal oil and gas leases, and by shutting down any new oil pipelines. Biden chose to do that. And then on the international front, because of the war in Ukraine, which there is a growing consensus, is basically caused by Joe Biden. So you've got inflation, largely because of the spike in energy costs. You have the spike in energy because of stupid Biden domestic uh, problems, and also because of the war in Ukraine, and also because of other geopolitical issues that, for instance, encouraged Saudi Arabia not to play ball with Joe Biden. Okay, list goes on and on and on. It goes back to Biden. It goes back to the 2020 election. Had Donald Trump been permitted to serve a second term, I don't think you would see 90% of the present political trouble that we are looking at right now. The situation that we're in across sectors, not just just on foreign policy, not just on immigration, not just on the economy, not just on this, not all of it. I think 90% of the present political trouble that we're facing just would not have happened. I think you can trace it back directly to Joe Biden and the 2020 election. And I think I'm not the only one who believes that. I think people are seeing that, too, which is why you're seeing the Democrats flailing, totally changing their tune, totally lying about what they've said and done for the past two years, and trying to clamp down on power and preemptively calling Republican victories illegitimate, and pulling all sorts of shenanigans that, that you have seen uh, as the election day approaches now we're within two weeks. Even on the issues where the Democrats usually can be successful, especially racial identity politics, it's not working. There's an amazing poll that just came out. And this is not a conservative-leaning poll. This is a poll from Telemundo and LX News, conducted by Mason Dixon Polling and Strategy. And the poll asked what Latinos think of Ron DeSantis versus Charlie Crist. This is Latinos in Florida. Now, we've been told Ron DeSantis is a terrible guy, and he's treating these Latino immigrants like, like dirt, and he's shipping them like they're not even human up to these states in the north, and, and Martha's Vineyard, this awful, terrible man. Christ is so good, and he's pro-immigration, and he's, okay, well, you know what the poll says. I kind of set it up that way. The Latinos prefer DeSantis over Christ. The Latinos, who are supposed to be Democrats, they prefer the Republican over the Democrat. What's even crazier is when Latino voters in Florida were asked specifically what they believe about DeSantis shipping the illegals up to Martha's Vineyard. More of the Hispanic respondents favored DeSantis's policy than opposed it. 50% were in favor, 43% were opposed. Because they get it. Because they get it. Because the Latino immigrants The Latino voters, rather, many of whom are not immigrants. The the Latinos in Florida, though, they actually understand the immigration issue better than most demographics, okay? And they get it. And they realize that illegal immigration is wrong. And the degree of illegal immigration that we have today is completely unsustainable. It's completely disordered. And they realize that states like Florida, and especially states like Texas and Arizona, are being completely exploited by liberals in the North who think that Illegal immigration gives them an electoral advantage, but they don't want to deal with it in their backyard. And the Latinos in Florida get it. They say, yeah, put them up in Martha's Vineyard. Send them to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Send them to New York and, and, and Chicago and Washington, D.C. And, and you know, I can just picture the Democrat strategists pulling their hair out saying, no, but but we called him racist. Why isn't this working? We're supposed to call these guys racist, and then, and then all the minorities just come to our side. Why isn't it? <sighs> but we have the guys in the lab coats. Why don't they believe us on COVID? But we, uh, why? But we're calling all our opponents Putin stooges. Why don't they support? Uh, uh. And it's just everything they're trying, they're being totally frustrated by. And and as election day draws nearer, the polls are breaking ever more for the Republicans. So this means they're going to need even more shenanigans to prevent a red wave. And they're pulling those shenanigans. There was a debate for the Michigan governor's race. This was between the Republican, Tudor Dixon, and the Democrat Gretchen Whitmer, who has been a terrible governor and is deeply unpopular. And so while Tudor Dixon is giving her opening remarks, what happens? Oh, oops, the local Fox affiliate carrying the debate in Michigan. Oops, it just accidentally cut to commercial break. We see our, our reading scores have plummeted. Our graduation rates have dropped. Our cities are less safe and the roads aren't fixed.
1: Watch Fox 47 News for Rivalry Week stories all this week. If you're looking for a better night's sleep, look no further than Ashley, only a Lansing. You
0: can change course. In 14 days, you can put Michigan back on the right track. I've traveled the state, and from day one, I've been focused on my family-friendly plan for Michigan. You saw tonight's debate right here on Fox 47. We will have full coverage just ahead. But first, we had an unintended technical issue that cut off a portion of Tudor Dixon's opening statement. We regret this error. In fairness to both parties, we will re air those opening statements in full right now, starting with Governor Whitmer as it aired live. Oh, good. That's good. You see that correction at the end that aired much, much later. That's, oh, that's so good. There was this accident, it was a big whoopsie daisy. The Republican who is outperforming what the Democrats thought she would be doing and is actually posing a threat to Gretchen Whitmer. Yeah, we're just going to cut off her opening remarks during the debate that everyone's watching. But don't worry, we'll issue a correction after the debate when nobody's watching. And then we'll air we'll air the full thing right now, starting with the Democrat, by the way. Oops, sorry. This is exactly what Candy Crowley did. Candy Crowley, the absolute hack leftist moderator during one of the 2012 Obama-Romney debates. Romney made a claim, was referring to the uh, terror attack in Benghazi, and he said, Barack Obama didn't call this a terror attack for X number of days afterward. And Candy Crowley said, oh, no, yes, he did. He did it right away, Mitt Romney. So she, she, the moderator, jumps in on behalf of Barack Obama. Obama's just sitting there, by the way. He says, he says, oh, good. I'll sick my dogs on Romney. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And Romney goes, no, I'm pretty sure, Candy, I'm actually pretty sure I'm right about this. And she goes, no, you're wrong, Romney. You're wrong. Fact check. 10,000 fact checks. You're wrong. Ten, a million Pinocchios. He goes, no, but I'm pretty sure. I, what? I don't. And then what happens? We find out after the debate, Romney was right. And Candy Crowley completely made it up and played interference for Barack Obama. But then she said at the end of the debate, she goes, oh, hey, by the way, now that n- no one's watching anymore, oh, yeah, I was wrong. Oops. I'm a, I'm a real journalist, so I'm going to correct it. Whoopsie-daisy. So you you can expect a lot more of these sorts of shenanigans to, to increase in the next 14 days because there's, <laughs> there isn't one good sign breaking for the Democrats right now. So the only hope they've got is to rig it and steal it and wouldn't be the first time they've, they've done such a thing. Lots of shenanigans in politics, and especially when it comes to our friends on the left. The fact checks, the quote-unquote fact checks, they are a major tool of the Democrats. And I fear not enough conservatives and independents and moderates understand just how completely worthless the quote-unquote fact checks are. Fact checks are just liberal opinion columns that try to use the language of science to to give more of an air of an uh, authority in our modern scientific age, but they're just liberal opinion columns. And actually, the fact checks are even more nefarious because, with that undue air of scientific authority, uh, then the the liberal opinion makers can pressure the big tech companies. And the big tech companies are, frankly, very happy to have this kind of cover to to use those liberal opinion columns disguised as pure fact to censor the conservatives. And this has always been the case. This phenomenon really started to crop up about 10 years ago or so, a little more than 10 years ago. And it's just become more and more powerful ever since. But here, here's a great one. Great one. We played the clip uh, a few days ago on the show of Ted Cruz just absolutely destroying those cackling hens on the view with facts and logic and it was a beautiful thing to see and so one of the claims made by the ladies of the view was that the 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 well one they said the democrats don't uh, delegitimize elections. You know the Democrats don't deny the results of elections, and so Ted pulls out a sheet of paper. He goes, "Oh, <laughs> the year two thousand, the Stacey Abrams election, the, the twenty sixteen election, the this that." You know, and he's name he's quoting examples of the Democrats, and then they they split there on their tactics. One said, "Okay, well it's fine when the Democrats do it; it's not good when Republicans do it." But then one of the other lines of argument was, "Well, at least the Democrats didn't." have an insurrection afterward. You know They were just peaceful about it. And Senator Cruz comes out and he says, what are you talking about? The Democrats burned the country down for much of, of 2020. What are you talking about? They don't engage in political violence. What about the Antifa riots? So here's the, here's the fact check from Newsweek of his appearance. Ted Cruz's claim, false, totally false. Not Needs context, not unverified, not satire, not misleading material. It's totally false. Okay, why is Ted Cruz's claim totally false? The Antifa riots, Cruz refers to, are almost certainly the protests which followed George Floyd's death. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, that's true. Okay, so you could call them the BLM slash Antifa riots. Okay, but (laughs) wouldn't that make it worse for your side? Wouldn't that be more sensational? Okay. Most of these occurred between late May to early June 2020. Although many buildings were damaged or destroyed by fire during protests, this did not carry on throughout the year. So (laughs) so you're saying it's his claim that the libs (laughs) burned the country down for for much of that year. You're saying it's false because while they did burn a lot of the country down, they didn't do it for most of the year, only a little bit of the year. Except then the next paragraph, they say, well, protests did continue in Portland, Oregon for nearly a year. (laughs) According to media reports, these were not all characterized by arson. <laughs> so, so okay, no, it's false because it didn't go on for all of the year, except in certain places it did go on through all of the year. and but it's false because it, they didn't all burn down the cities. they just well, some of them did actually burn down the cities the whole time. but most other cities quieted down after June 2020, labeling the protests as antifa riots is misleading to as there's no organization or group known as such. I mean, there are, and I've actually encountered them, and they've attacked me at my debates. And they have a flag, and they have a uniform, and they show up, and they've committed political violence for years in this country. But no, 10,000 Pinocchios, because why? Because they don't even attempt to make a coherent argument. They contradict themselves. Sentence after sentence, they undermine what they said previously. But it doesn't matter. It's the same thing as COVID is uh, not a big deal. We should have reopened the schools from the beginning. COVID is going to kill us all. It's a global health crisis. The the contradictions that we're not just seeing today, but we've been listening to for years, they are a feature of the program because none of it is about making a coherent argument. Obviously, none, none of it is about, quote unquote, following the science or checking the facts or anything like that. It is all about power, raw power, completely divorced from reason and logic and civil discussion and all of that. And it's the Democrats clamping down. And the less of an argument they've got to make, and the less persuasive their argument is to the American people, the more they're just going to clamp down on that raw power. Expect many, many more fact checks. So you've got got to talk amongst yourselves, okay? You've got to check the facts for yourself. And when you want to talk to one another, you've got to check out Pure Talk USA. Right now, go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Knowles. With midterms coming up, here is something you should keep in mind. Every dollar that you spend is a vote, and you're casting those votes over and over again for companies that are working hard to undermine your beliefs, what you hold dear. For instance, Verizon Wireless customers, you are supporting a company that canceled One America News for its support of President Trump. AT&T customers, your wireless provider doesn't just support far-left CNN, it owns it. T-Mobile customers, your CEO, openly advised Democrats on how to beat Trump in the 2020 election. Don't give your money to woke wireless companies. Give it to PureTalk instead. PureTalk not only believes in conservative American family values, but they also give you the best service at a low cost. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just $30 a month. The average family saves almost $1,000 per year. That's a 1,000 fewer votes for those cell phone companies that want to stop you from speaking freely. I am a Pure Talk customer. I love it. get the same network, same great coverage, same phone, much, much lower bill, and 30 days risk-free. Switching to Pure Talk only takes 10 minutes. It's a total no-brainer. Now is your chance to show corporate America that you are done funding their leftist ideology. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Knowles, for 50% off your first month. I want to fact check something. I'm going to do a Michael Knowles show fact check. We're going to to fact check the fact checkers. No, I want to fact check Joe Biden on something because Joe Biden made a claim yesterday that although he says very eccentric things almost every day, this this one really took me by surprise.
1: Some airlines, if you want six more inches between you and the seat in front, you pay more money, but you don't know it until you purchase your ticket. Look, folks, these are junk fees, they're unfair, and they hit marginalized Americans, the hardest, especially low-income folks and people of color. They benefit big corporations, not consumers.
0: Okay, hold on. The claim is airlines charge more money for better seats. And and number one, most people, they don't even know about it. They hide that, which I— I fly around a lot. I give speeches. I was just I was just in England, for, you know, for Candace's daughter's baptism. I, I'm on airplanes a fair bit. When I go to book my ticket, the the prices are not hidden. They're they're right in front of your face. And when you look, you go to pick your seat. On on every seat, almost there's a little dollar sign and then a number. And then and you can either if you go for the nicer seats, the numbers get bigger. And if you're in the the less nice seats with less legroom, the numbers are smaller, but you pick it, you see the price every single step of the way. So I don't know how that's confusing, but then it gets, it gets even weirder because Biden said, this, is th- this practice of the airlines, of hiding these fees, which they allegedly do, uh, of, and, and the practice really of just charging more for nicer seats with more legroom, this is especially harmful to marginalized Americans and to people of color. Is he, is he saying black people can't read? There's two, there's two ways of understanding what he's saying. He's either saying black people are illiterate and innumerate, and so they can't see basic words and numbers on a screen when they're buying their tickets. Or he's saying it's unfair to black people because, because they're so fat, they need more leg room than other people. Or maybe that they're so tall. I guess that would be a slightly less offensive way. But so it- it's unfair to black people. It's especially bad for black people because they're illiterate and innumerate and fat. That's That seems a little odd to me. But it's also offensive to white people because the, the, I assume Joe Biden didn't give one second's thought to how he was phrasing this. This is how the Democrats always have to phrase any justice issue. They could be talking about anything. They could be talking about how in the middle of August, it, it, you know, it's really hot out there. And they could say, and this is especially a, a serious problem for marginalized communities and people of color. They could, they could, you could, you could be talking about how the, the cost of bubble gum went up five cents over the past year. Well, with Biden's inflation, it's probably gone up much more. But you could say, you know, the price of bubble gum has gone up five cents last year. And this is especially a big problem for marginalized communities and people of color. Climate change is a problem for marginalized communities and people of color the war in ukraine it's a really big problem for marginalized communities and people of color every single issue food food you know the the amount of high fructose corn syrup is is a really especially problem for uh, marginalized communities and people of color every issue of justice has to be framed from the perspective of non-white people it's not it's not enough on the left to say this is bad for everybody you, you're not allowed to say that that's why they hate the phrase all lives matter it only matters if it's bad for black people if it's bad for white people for, on the left, usually they celebrate that. <laughs> it's a, that's a good thing. There are fewer white people in the country. This is a great thing. This is a cause for celebration. You see constant articles about this and, and segments like this in the mainstream news, which is which is wrong. That's really wrong. <laughs> okay. It's really, it's somehow, it's just that one silly example in the, the airlines. Biden manages to offend everybody as he thinks that he's pandering to his base. I don't think that pandering is working anymore. I, I'm, you're just looking at that in the polls. I don't think it's working. But the racial politics, they're just so dumb. They're so, so silly. Representative Myra Flores, uh, she's a Texas Republican member of Congress. She just tried to join the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. So this is the main caucus for Latino members of Congress. And uh, Myra Flores, very clearly Latino, she's the first uh, Mexican-born woman to serve in Congress. She represents a district right along the U.S.-Mexico border. The district is overwhelmingly Hispanic. She was not allowed into the caucus. (laughs) According to the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, Representative Myra Flores from Mexico is not Hispanic. Kind of silly, right? Why is that? Well, they don't want to let her in because she's conservative. And as far as the left is concerned, if you're Hispanic and conservative, you're just not Hispanic. As far as the left is concerned, if you're, if you're Candace Owens, if you're black and conservative, you're just not black. They don't say, Candace Owens, you, you're not conservative. They say you're not black. You're not really a black person. I remember an article about Sarah Palin in some stupid feminist studies, gender studies journal. This would have been years ago when Palin was running for vice president. And the article said that Sarah Palin had surrendered her womanhood, she ceased to be a woman because of her political point of view. And we can mock this and we say this is so silly and look at these dumb liberals with their race politics. But this there's actually a lot to this. This is actually how most people think about race. Very, very few people care about race itself. This is across the political spectrum. People care about race, if they care about race at all, only as a representation of something else. So people on the right have very low racial consciousness. You see this reflected in a lot of polls. White people especially have very, very low racial consciousness compared to other racial groups. In as much, even the race-obsessed kind of fringe of the right, even they are more than happy to welcome black right-wingers into their tent. Even, you see this. Just look at any of the real racially-obsessed kind of fringe figures on the right They've all got a black friend. They've all got a Jewish friend. They've all they they because their their racial politics is not really about race. They just for them, the, the people who are not members of their race that they pal around with participate in the kind of cultural trappings that they themselves go along with. So wear the same clothes, believe the same kind of political points of view, read the same books, go to the same parties, do the same sorts of things. For, for the the relatively few people on the right who focus all that much on race, race is really just a representation of culture. And for the left, race is just a representation of ideology. This is why they can, with a straight face, say, no, Myra Flores, is you're not Hispanic. No, no, because I know you think that race is just the color of your skin and your bone structure, and, but it's not. For, for the left, if you do not adhere to a handful of dogmatic ideological principles, make you a leftist then you actually just can't be black. That when Joe Biden says if you're not going to vote for me, if you don't know who you're going to vote for, me or Trump, you ain't black. He is express expressing that point of view. He d- he probably couldn't articulate it in anything resembling a systematic way, but he's just saying that race actually is not about the pigment of your skin. It's just that is just a representation for your political ideology. And a lot of the time that does actually match up. And sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, then you deny the pigment. You deny what we have traditionally understood to be race. And you you instead favor the symbol. And that, that's why Myra will never be Hispanic, according to these people. Never will. Candace Owens will never be black, according to these people. Now, speaking of women in politics, I was just talking about two very impressive women in politics. I'm not going to speak about a little something of a less impressive woman in politics, that would of course be our Vice President Kamala Harris, who gave a a rousing oratory yesterday on school buses. So here's the thing, who doesn't love a yellow school bus, right? Can you raise your hand if you love a yellow school bus, right? Just there's something about the, and, and most of us, many of us went to school on the yellow school bus, right? And it's part of,
1: it's part of our, our experience growing up.
0: I say this without any malice in my heart, specifically toward Kamala Harris, or I think any hyperbole. This might be the most vacuous human being ever to walk the earth. <laughs> have, you, have you ever heard emptier words? from an emptier suit of a politician. I, politicians say meaningless things all the time, but this woman only ever says meaningless things. Uh, Madam Vice President, what, what, what do you think you're going to be doing now? How is the administration going to pivot? Well, it's really important to continue to do the things and to do the things now that we were doing, that we've been doing from the doing. Okay, Madam Vice President, you've got the floor. Please tell us what's on your heart. Please give us your vision of the future. Who here likes a yellow school bus? <laughs> don't we all love yellow school buses? Nobody cannot like a yellow school bus. So actually, first of all, fact check. No one who rides a yellow school bus likes a yellow school bus because it's school children who like, who ride the yellow school bus. And school children don't want to go to school. They want to stay home and play. So she's actually, even in as much as she's making any kind of claim, which is really tenuous here, even that really tenuous claim is is false. Even that really thin, just not, that is false. And then, of course, the whole thing is just so silly and sad. Because every single Kamala Harris speech or interview is just an excruciating process of watching her try to figure out desperately how she can get anyone to like her even a little bit. What is, that's why what she never says anything that, that could ever be construed really as controversial or that it makes any real substantive claims at all because the moment you make a substantive claim, you alienate people who disagree with those claims. So she just generally says... Nothing. And then she does it in this really desperate, like her, her muscles are stretched on her face. And she's always got that crazy cackle. <laughs> right? Don't we all love air? Hey, who doesn't love air? <laughs> right? Can, you, can I be president yet? No, you can't. You can't. It's really sad. Joe Biden also has no convictions whatsoever. He's just much more talented than she is. That's how he's remained in national politics for 50 years. Not the brightest bulb in the pack. He doesn't believe a damn thing. Whatever he did believe, he sold that out long ago. But at least he's a little better at the art of politics. Kamala Harris is not. She's made her way in politics by other means. We'll leave it at that to be diplomatic, you know, to be gentlemanly. Who says chivalry's dead? But it's, it's, it's a, a real warning. People write in a lot on the show and they say, Michael, I want to be more involved in politics. And some people say, I want to run for office even, or I re- at least I want to get involved with the campaign. You know, How do I do it? What should I do? And especially when young people write in, they'll say, I, how do I get involved? I'm 19 years old. And I, I just always think, make sure before you do it, you are doing it for the right reasons. The first thing you have to ask yourself before you get involved with in a political campaign or before you run for office, or even before you go out and spread your opinions in an article or a podcast or TV or whatever is, why are you doing it? Why? What do you hope to achieve in politics? And when it comes to politicians like Joe Biden and especially Kamala Harris, they just want to be in politics. That's it. They just want to be in office. Joe Biden just wanted to, he's just wanted to be the president forever Kamala Harris just wants to be the president. What do they want to do? Do they want to get tough on crime or go soft on crime? They've held both positions. They don't care. Do they want to uh, institute a kind of moderate centrist policy or do they want to move far to the left? They don't care. They've held both points of view. Do they want to be hawks or doves? Do they want to be this that you go down? They don't. They've held every position on every single issue. They are not conviction politicians, they just want to be in office. And so when you don't believe anything, it it, it can, you, you can last for a while. You can kind of last in the background for a while, but it 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 makes it very, very difficult for you when the going gets tough, because you, you really are rudderless. You have nowhere to go. And so now Joe Biden and Kamala Harris would do anything. They, they don't care. They wake up in the morning, they lick their finger, they figure out which way the wind is blowing, but they just, they because they have no beliefs and no vision for the country, they ju- they're just stumbling around. And you're seeing that reflected in their poll numbers. And what the American people want is clarity, okay? No one wants a flatterer or a panderer in office, okay? That flattery and pandering, it's very offensive, Okay, And it's why, they, it's why they don't understand. Wait a second. Ron DeSantis has been tough on certain Hispanic immigrants. Why do the Hispanic voters like him? Because he's, he talks straight and he says, this is what I believe. And here's why I believe what I believe. And here, I'm going to give you an argument for it. And I'm going to stand by the facts. And the facts are going to be true six months from now when the Democrats are trying to rewrite all of history and run away. From, I'm going to be standing by what I believe. And, and people respect that. The voters are a lot smarter than the Democrats have given them credit for. People just want to be respected. They want a clear vision, and they want some courage. Right now, the Democrats are failing on all of those fronts. You know, I absolutely love this new three-part series from Jordan Peterson on Daily Wire. It's called On Marriage. Okay, I I think every single day, I am truly, truly blessed uh, to have my wonderful wife and my kids and it's so important because marriage is the fundamental political institution with marriage rates at an all-time low in the United States and a birth rate that is continuing to fall. Everyone needs to watch this show. I think this is one of, if not the most pressing issue in in the country. And I've been talking about it for years. And some people have said, Michael, you're crazy. You're a radical. Why are you talking about birth rates and marriage rates? Get off. Well, now people are starting to realize this is a big, big problem. Especially young people right now need to watch this because statistics are also showing that younger people are getting married much later in life and less frequently. Now, All right, I know our audience here is not filled with Peter Pans, but just in case there are a few stragglers who are late to the marriage and family party, consider this a pleasant and helpful kick in the teeth. Stop being selfish, or as Jordan Peterson says, stop having cocaine-fueled binge parties and make your bed and eat your lobsters and get married. For those of you married folks who have let time and work and outside forces get in the way, Jordan will also show you how to navigate through those moments and get back to that romantic fun adventure that you had at the beginning. Daily Wire Plus members can go watch the first episode of Jordan Peterson's On Marriage with two more episodes coming out soon. Tonight is Ben Shapiro's book club. This month's book is Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. And Ben will be sharing his notes and analysis with you as well as answering your questions. You have to be an all-access member to join in on the fun. So go to dailywire.com slash Knowles, W L E S to become a member today. And remember, your membership really helps us prevent the total collapse of society as we know it. So do it. Go join Daily Wire Plus and make your bed and eat your lobsters and get married. Okay, go head on over and do it right now. Now, some people who want to prevent the collapse of society, they're not going about it the right way. They're going about it in a a kind of, I think, self-undermining sort of way. This would be this strange epidemic we're seeing of climate activists throwing liquids and colorful substances on art and architecture specifically in London. So, you know, a week or so ago, there were those crazy climate activists who walked in and threw soup on a Van Gogh painting. That I I then showed up a day or two later. I walked up with a spoon. I thought I could get some soup there, but they luckily there was glass and they cleaned off all of the soup. Now these this crazy climate activist is going to a conservative think tank house in London, and he just started spraying it with orange paint. And this all apparently to stop oil. You were seeing that this is the phrase now that has been cropping up in a lot of these climate uh, protests, stop oil. And my first thought when I saw this act of protest is, does that man know what paint is made from? Because if you if you want to stop oil I I don't know that you would use an oil-based paint at least when the when the two young women were throwing the soup on Van Gogh I thought well I, you know the painting is made of oil paints. I don't think that Van Gogh paintings are the number one contributor to climate change or anything like that but at least there's a a little bit of logic there may be. It's a sort of facade or semblance of logic. But all I see with these, with these protests, allegedly to save the world, is destruction. That's all these guys do. They just destroy things. That's all you're seeing the left do now. The left destroying art, destroying marriage, destroying education destroying wonderful entertainment and IP. I mean, they've destroyed Disney. Now we can't show our kids Disney+. Plus. We, I think we all canceled. I certainly canceled my subscription. I can't show my kids recent Disney movies. Maybe I'll go find some of the older ones online, the good ones. But even then, I don't know. The left has just gone in, and instead of building their own things, they've just kind of destroyed all of our things. Why, why is it that these leftists, are so intertwined with ugliness. I'm not even saying that they're naturally, physically ugly. I, in fact, I know good-looking people. I know many such cases of good-looking people who, as they've gotten more and more into leftism, they've, they've made themselves much uglier in their clothing, in the way they treat their bodies, in the way they mutilate themselves, in their general demeanor, they do it. And I've seen people who've been crazy leftists who, as they become more conservative, they, they actually become more beautiful. And their environment becomes more beautiful and they treat their body more beautifully and their rooms and the the way they present themselves because obviously there's a relation between truth, goodness, and beauty, the the transcendentals. And it's just a good rule of thumb where you see someone pushing ugliness, they're going to be pushing, very likely, wickedness and falsehood too. These things all go together. And and that's... if we want to have a good society, it's not enough to take this kind of reductionist point of view. of, Well, we're just going to defend a few laws and then you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. We're all going to do whatever we want and don't yuck my yum. And that, no, that's not going to happen. You want the basic statecraft from the time of those old ancient Greeks until modernity and all the way up into the future, because this is just a fact of politics. Politics at its core is do good and avoid evil. If you want to have a good country, then you got to you got to get more good stuff going on and you got to avoid the bad stuff. And, the, and I don't care how many degrees you've got in political science and you think you've come up with a way to avoid that basic rule of politics. It's not going to work. So now we are getting a little bit more good stuff when it comes to our political order right now. There was, there was a big win. I, th- I hope it will be a big win that happened yesterday. Elon Musk officially became the chief twit, and he, he did so. By uh, walking into Twitter headquarters, and he was actually carrying a sink. It's a kind of a strange video. Obviously being filmed, he's just carrying a sink, obviously disconnected from the wall. And he smiles at the camera and puts it down on the couch. And he said, he tweeted out, he goes, "Entering Twitter HQ. Let that sink in." <laughs> so, yeah, and then he says, he changed his bio to say, "Chief Twit." <laughs> so so uh, this gives me a lot of hope. Because he's, he, the man is certainly not self-serious. He makes jokes. He thinks, takes things lightly. That's what Chesterton said about the angels. He said the angels can fly because they can take themselves lightly. And he, he says he's going to make Twitter a little bit freer. He's not, gonna, he's not saying it's going to be the complete Wild West and you can put whatever you want on Twitter. But he's saying we're going to open up speech again on Twitter. It's got to be an important uh, tool for communication. And this, is, this has the potential to be more important political development than pretty much anything we've seen during the Biden administration. And the reason for that is the bird app is not just a, a, a worthless time suck that we're all going to have to answer for when we make it to St. Peter's Gate. It might also be that. But Twitter, and along with the senior partners in big tech, Google and Facebook, are the public square. And because we are, at least in principle, a self-governing republic, that means that they are the political order. If you can be excluded from the public square, then you cannot really participate in our government. So your place in our self-government doesn't really exist. And if that happens to an entire political party, if that happens to the biggest voices in a political party, then that means that half the country is essentially being booted from the public square and it completely undermines self-government. This Uh, Could be a big development. Now, Elon Musk is not, I don't think he's some rock-ribbed conservative. And it actually tells you a lot, I, I think about a lot of the poll movements we're seeing today. Elon Musk just kind of gets what time it is. Elon Musk, like so many Americans, is not a guy who probably showed up to the Tea Party rallies ten years ago and the and wore the MAGA hat all the time and you know studied Edmund Burke in school. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't think so, though. I don't think he was a de- debate club kid wearing a bow tie, you know, practicing his orations on classical conservative philosophy. I Think he's a kind of quirky, interesting guy who works in a completely unrelated field to the professional exercise of politics, and he just looked around and he said whatever ruling class is running the country right now, they're screwing it up. Something's gone really, really wrong. And I'm not part of that. I'm part, I'm just, I'm out of that. I'm with whatever is not that. You've seen Tulsi Gabbard do this. You've seen huge swaths of Hispanic voters in particular do this. You're seeing a huge group of center people and center left and undecided do this right now, breaking in the polls. Now, will our benevolent betters, you know, will our, will our ruling class uh, be able to hold on to their grasp of power? Despite this popular movement, that remains to be seen. But the signs are all very, very good looking toward election day. Now, today, today was supposed to be a very special day where I almost kill my friend and colleague Jake Crane. We are pushing that to tomorrow. We are switching tomorrow, which is fake headline Friday, to today, because listen, we live in Biden's America. Up is down and left is right and black is white, and so everything's crazy. You've got to stay tuned. I need your help uh, to figure out which the fake headline is because the news cycle is so, so crazy. Four real headlines, one fake one. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. If you're not a member, click the link in the description and join us.